Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. PartnerVest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Please contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. Today is February 26, 2016. I'm Charlie Wright. We're very pleased you've joined us and we're very happy to have back as a guest today, James Song. James is the managing director. Director of Faircap Partners, focusing on investing in the country of Myanmar, which most of us know as Burma. He speaks to us from their offices in Bangkok. So, James, welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you so much for having me. So, James, the reason we had you back today, we rarely have guests for a second time, but the reason we had you back is that when we interviewed you several months ago, we felt a great passion on your part for what you are doing. And we want to go over some of your background and how that passion was created and talk about your vision for what's happening, because you are recommending investments in the country of Myanmar, one, to move the financial needle needle for the investors, but two, to make altruistic contributions to the people of Myanmar. And we could just feel last time your passion, your concern, your desire to move forward for both of these groups of people, the investors who would invest through you and the people of Myanmar, that we really want to hear more about that. So that's what we'd like to really focus on today. Is that okay? Sure, absolutely. So first of all, start out with a little of your background. You're a Harvard-trained bioscientist, a Fulbright scholar in Uganda and in London. You've been the manager of a hedge fund in biotech, okay, a very successful hedge fund. And you've been totally focused on Myanmar as an investment focus here since 2012. You guys, Faircap Partners, has offices in New York, Bangkok, Yangon, which most of us know as Rangoon, and Austin, Texas. Texas. So uh, tell us how you got there here, James. I think, well, uh, typically, I think when people listen to my background, they uh, <clears throat> they tend to not be able to put everything together. Uh, I am trained as a neuroscientist. I consider myself a scientist. That's where my background is. That's where my heart is. Always thinking about problems uh, through the lens of science. I think... What's really important here with respect to investing is that we not think about these categories, but we think about humanness. We think about what it means to be human. And from that, we can start to understand where value comes from. Let's, let's put it, frame it a different way. We, when we want to sit down, we look for chairs. And that's because we're human. If we had bodies like turtles do, chairs would have no value to us. So 
we look at or we start building a model of what value is and what value means through the lens of being human. And uh, I think that's very important to think about. Uh, it just uh, to get, I, I know I'm invested in Myanmar, but uh, just to get off of Myanmar for a moment, I was one of the first people to look at Facebook seriously as an investment because uh, when I was an undergrad, you know, I saw Facebook grow. I, I remember, I remember being in Dunster House where I had a girlfriend at uh, when when I was at Harvard, and uh, she had asked me to sign up. And Harvard was kind of like our dating service. Uh, Harvard had its own phone directory called the Facebook, and then uh, Mark Zuckerberg took all that data and created uh, Facebook from it. And uh, the thing is, it just seemed almost silly. You know, it took me a year before I got on, and everyone knew it was a dating service, and everyone thought it was kind of weird. And I used to get so much flack from my friends in high school. You know, they'd say, you know, like, what are you, a 16-year-old girl? Why are you on Facebook all the time? You know, but it was the way to find out about parties and things like that. And then it just kind of blew up over the years. And a couple of weeks ago, I'm in a roadside cafe in uh, Myanmar. This is, a, this is a kind of shop where things were kind of cobbled together using scrap wood. Uh, dirt floor, flies everywhere, having a cup of milk tea, and the guy running the place is on Facebook. So you have to think about what that means to have something come across halfway around the world and have that much importance in people's life. And what I think Facebook got really right is it's very human. You know, it accentuates the things we like about being human. We like to talk about uh, things that interest us. We like to show off things, so we take pictures and post it on Facebook. We tell people about all the great food we're eating, all the great places we're going to, and uh, this is what people really like, and then that's why there is value in Facebook. And that's So how does all of this, I've, James, how does all of this humanness relate to you, your background, and Myanmar? Uh, I think what's really important uh, when you're seeking value in the world uh, is is thinking about what it means to align yourself with people who can create and uh, increase those things that we find valuable as humans. So there's uh, so uh, investing in Myanmar for a moment. I think if we all forgot about Myanmar entirely for the next 10 years, it would develop by itself. So Myanmar doesn't need us to, to grow economically. So where the value is for me is taking that growth that's going to be automatic, like the people will do it by themselves, and supercharging it, doing something with it that people don't expect, because that's ultimately something very human. Well, we Investing is never about alpha or intelligent beta or these things, these concepts that we talk about. No one gets into investing or no one starts learning about investing because of that. People learn about investing because they're wildly ambitious about what their lives can do for them. Like we want to make massive amounts of money so we could take care of our families, so we could do all those things that we see on television. That's why people get into investing. And starting to understand that Starts uh, starts that process where you align yourself with those things that 
create value in the world. And when you have a sense of that, it's easier for you not just to find value, but create value and figure out ways of capturing the value. So how do you see uh, you and your fund creating value in Myanmar? We uh, we like iterative process. Uh, so we like it when things are copied from other countries, but we're not satisfied with it. So uh, getting back to KFC, you know, uh, we see KFCs really big all over Asia. You know, we see uh, KFC sales are growing in Myanmar, but uh, it's not good enough. It's not good enough for me as an investor. I want to see something really interesting. I want to see something taken to the next level. I want to see something that can grow beyond just Myanmar. So one of the things we're working on right now is um, building a machine learning uh, software that uh, Burmese is very contextual. So getting the context right in translations to English is actually quite difficult. So we're building this software and uh, we're increasing the accuracy of it, which really just starts to understand how uh, people communicate feelings to each other. And that could have applications beyond just mere translation. And we look for things that can scale globally when we make our investments in exactly that way. You know, last time we talked, James, uh, we identified, the based upon what you talked uh, talked about, we identified the fact that Myanmar is really the last most inefficient market in the world. Talk about that for a minute, will you? Definitely. I think uh, when it comes to investing, you got to you got to go where the odds are stacked in your favor rather than going out into a crowded marketplace and fighting for your place there. Myanmar, it's 90% agricultural. You know, if in my view, if everything fails, the government fails, you know, the economy fails, they're just going to go back to farming. So you're starting at as close to zero as you possibly can. So, you know, in terms of... Uh, Risk mitigation, you know, I saw nothing better, you know, in terms of growth. It's right next to India, right next to China. It's It was once the richest country in Asia. You know, it's got more natural resources per capita than China or India. So, you know, they're in a place to do really well. Um, <clears throat> I think the most important thing in most emerging markets is to have operating capabilities. So I was able to secure that very early on. So, you know, I was able to put those pieces in place where I could stack things in my favor. If it didn't work out that way, I wouldn't be invested in Myanmar so heavily. Uh, I think it's I think that's just really, really important. I want to be I want to be the I want to be the favorite. You know, I want to take the lead. I don't want to have to follow anyone. I don't want to have to uh, rely on anyone else's research outside of my own. You know, I want to I want to know that uh, I have a monopoly on information for a particular thing. And then I can execute on that information. Thank you, James. You know, James, we need to take a quick quick uh, break. When we come back, let's talk about some of the specific investments that you're investing in. You have mentioned software. Last time you talked about river, riverboat uh, cruise business. And tell us about the different kinds of investments you see for the near and in the further future to focus on for Myanmar. Again, we're talking with James Song, Managing Director of Fair Cap Partners, focusing on investing in the country of Myanmar. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we'll be right back. (laughs) 
According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. All right, let's pick it back up and bring Charlie and his guests back in. Thank you, Paul. Again, we're talking with James Song, Managing Director of Faircap Partners. He's talking to us from their uh, head from their offices in Bangkok, Thailand. So, uh, James, you've talked this time and our last interview uh, in regards to the inefficiencies of the markets in uh, Myanmar, and there's great opportunity to help bring those people uh, the opportunities that the uh, more advanced world, uh, developed world offers. Uh, what are some of the kinds of investments that you're working on and that you see you working on in the coming months and years? Uh, lately, I've been grabbing assets in Myanmar that I feel have been uh, neglected. So, for instance, uh, there's a shortage of warehouse space, so I've been building warehouses out in Myanmar. Uh, there's no brick factory. So I'm building a brick factory right now, uh, which is basically you have a bunch of machines, a place where you could build a lot of fires and a mound of dirt. And uh, uh, one of the things that uh, strikingly just doesn't happen in Myanmar is uh, nationwide distribution. So you have a lot of uh, subcontractors if you want to get something from the very southern end of Myanmar to the very northern tip of Myanmar. And no one has a unified, cohesive kind of distribution network in Myanmar. So we're building that out with uh, real-time package tracking. And what we're trying to do right now is uh, bring in specific American brands like uh, Tabasco uh, into Myanmar where, you know, they love these flavors. And uh, I want to set up the foundation where anywhere in the country where you want these products, uh, I I could place them for you. You know, this is fascinating stuff here, James. These are the things that uh, we only <laughs> hear about from afar here. And you you are in Myanmar. Uh, in Myanmar. Are you uh, uh, the only person doing these kinds of things? Or uh, is there a plethora of people descending on Myanmar at this particular time from Europe and the U.S. and elsewhere? I think a lot of people are investing in Myanmar. I don't see many interesting ideas happening in Myanmar. Uh, well, not as many as I'd like to see. Uh, you see a lot of high-end hotels. You see a lot of whiskey bars, very expensive whiskey bars. You see a lot of really nice cafes that make croissants and sell them to the increased tourist flow. I think that's very low-hanging fruit. So it's it's obviously where a lot of new businesses will go to capture that uh, increased flow of tourism. It's just not particularly interesting to me as an investor. I want to see things that where. I can control Myanmar Inc. If you think about Myanmar as a company with 52 million employees creating amazing products, I want to lead that product design and uh, like research development. I want to create new things from from that base. 
You know, James, uh, another question here. I lived in the Middle East for several years, and the term there was bakshish. Okay, bribe. Um, Is the government cooperative and helpful? Do you have to do things you'd rather not do? How how is that in in Myanmar? Or are they a a very uh, innocent society and don't recognize that that's how some of the rest of the world works? Uh, I, I understand exactly what you mean. And when I was in Uganda, I did have to pay a lot of bribes just to get through everyday life. People like I would get arrested every now and again for uh, for absolutely nothing, which was just a, a way of a police officer just asking for a bribe so they could eat for that day. So I understood how that happened. And uh, I expected the same in Myanmar, but that doesn't really happen there. I think, uh, I think what's... Uh, Around Christmas time, uh, there was some flooding up in Chin State, which is the northern part of, uh, especially the northern part of Myanmar, which is close to the Indian border. And uh, the Chin people live on hills, so they live, uh, they make their houses on these, uh, with uh, on steep slopes with uh, legs coming down to support these houses, and a lot of those homes were lost. And one of these villages uh, called Sirkwa uh, was cut off because uh, the landslides destroyed the road and they didn't have rice. And rice is a big deal in Myanmar. Uh, each each Myanmar person eats close to a kilo, eat close to two pounds of rice every day. So and so that's a lot of rice. And they couldn't get any rice in the village. So, so the village was starving. And I took it upon myself to bring a truck of rice to that village. And then, you know, like you're there, you realize these people have nothing and, you know, like you brought them rice and you realize you didn't bring them enough rice because they'll go through the whole truck in maybe two weeks and then, wow, you got to come back in two weeks with, with another truck or, and what they're asking is, like, can I rebuild my home? So I asked them, look, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back with more resources. What else can I do for you? And the overwhelming response is, if I have enough to eat, if I have a roof over my head, if I could stay warm at night, what else do I need? And that is kind of what happens throughout the country. So as long as they have enough rice to eat, they're not really asking that much more. And that's really their culture. Like uh, throughout the throughout the country, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of uh, what ethnic tribe you're from. They all kind of feel the same way. As long as I'm taking care of my family's taken care of. What else do I really need? You know, and James, you, I go ahead. Oh, uh, you have to understand that this society has been. This has been closed off from modern society for close to 50 years. So, yeah, these are like traditional old world values that they still hold on to. James, I bet you could write a book on the difference between the attitudes there and the attitudes in the hedge fund world, couldn't you? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) No question about it. Uh, James, this is absolutely fascinating stuff. There were some uh, recent political changes there. Uh, Have they been helpful, and do you see things moving forward more easily uh, and, and movement towards greater capitalism there as a result of those political changes? Uh, I think everyone got the result they want wanted out of the election. You know, Aung San Suu Kyi's party won and, uh, overwhelmingly. And uh, the, the military-based government, they're going to seek control, you know, readily. You know, they're not going to fight it. Um, I don't see things being easier per se it's still a frontier market you still have to have your chops you know you have to come in with a lot of wit and a lot of kind of uh dynamic intelligent effectiveness 
And without that, you're just not going to make it in any like new market. Uh, but outside of that, I see a lot of people preparing to come in, you know, like uh, NGOs are gearing up. We see it. We see it in the real estate market. We collect a lot of data on real estate that's happening over there. And we see apartments drying up or people preparing uh, or looking, starting to look for housing now in preparation for the handover of the government in April. So we expect in May there's going to be a flood of people and a flood of new projects looking to come in and, and kind of develop the country. People uh, people love the idea of it. You know, governments love the idea of it, so, so they're gearing up for it. Very interesting. T- tell us uh, very briefly, you mentioned last time the guarantee offered by the U.S. government, uh, uh, OPIC. Would you, uh, in 30 seconds, cover that, will you? Uh, sure. OPIC offers U.S. investors and companies that are investing in foreign assets in Myanmar a roughly a 200%, 270% guarantee. So what they're saying is if you invest in this country because we want to increase our influence over there, you're not going to lose any money. As a matter of fact, if you lose money, we'll probably pay you on it. So you'll probably make money on it. Uh, essentially, the way it breaks down is it's a 90% uh, guarantee on your cost basis. So it costs you 10% to get in. You know, if you if the government comes in and starts competing with you, and you and you know you sue OPIC in a in the U.S. court, uh, uh, and you show that the the foreign government's competing with you, they pay you 90% of the the investment plus up to 180% of, uh, of uh, your expected cash flow, expected future cash flow. So, you know, overall, up to 180% of your investment, rather. So uh, that ends up uh, being up to 270% that you recoup if uh, anything happens. If you can't get your money out, if you can't, uh, if you can't compete effectively because of the government, if the government comes over and takes your business, there's an act of war, act of terrorism. If you, you know, essentially, all the costs of doing business in Myanmar, if any of that affects you, then the U.S. government pays you for it. So, James, give us your website as well as any other websites that would be helpful to anyone interested in pursuing this opportunity. Uh, FairCapPartners.com. Uh, we generally recommend people look at our Facebook or our Twitter. That's where we give out the most updates. Uh, World Bank does great work in Myanmar. If you want up-to-date uh, facts and figures about Myanmar, uh, it would be the World Bank just because they're so deeply engaged, also the Asian Development Bank. But outside of that, uh, uh, not too many people are actively engaged in Myanmar just because they haven't figured out how to work their way around the uh, the marketplace, the economy over there. Okay. So any book on investing about Myanmar that anybody could uh, look up or uh, read about? Not Myanmar specific, no. Uh, but uh, I think I think a particularly interesting book for investors is Security Analysis, Graham and Dodd. But I think a lot of people start looking through it, and uh, maybe they'll read most of it or all of it, and then put it away. I always recommend reading all six editions because the first four editions were updated by Benjamin Graham, and. If you read those updates, those revisions, you can see how his thinking evolved. And then the fifth and sixth editions, you can see how people who thought about those revisions, how their thinking evolved over time. And I think that is the most important part of security analysis as a book. 
You know, your scientific background uh, comes out in uh, many of these answers here, James, uh, <laughs> especially in that particular one. So what final words do you have for our listeners on the opportunities, both on the financial side for the investor and the altruistic side for the country of Myanmar? What final words do you have for us here? Uh, I think uh, I think now is an opportunity to do really great and important things. I mean, I don't think anyone gets into investing so they can make incremental improvements on their life. I think people invest because they want to do really, really great things with their life. You have the power to do that. Money holds a lot of value. Uh, you could you could buy a trinket at a dollar store and throw it away, or you could invest it and make hundreds of dollars with that dollar. It depends how you kind of implement it. You know, like where you put the money in, where you where you use it, where you deploy it to create value and how you capture that value in the end. And, you know, it's essentially not just what Warren Buffett says, you know, where, where he says when it's raining gold, you come out with your buckets. But it's how do you put yourself in a situation where you can make that bucket larger and make the rain come down harder? And you can only do that if you push and you partner with visionary leadership who run, like, really groundbreaking companies in really inefficient markets where they're taking advantage of these inefficiencies and really producing tremendous value. Well, you are certainly one with vision and with groundbreaking opportunities in an inefficient market, so you cover all three of those here, James. Congratulations, and you have a definite passion and a desire to move forward in more than one front, and we have to salute you and congratulate you for your efforts and certainly wish you a continued good luck and better uh, better opportunities in the future and hope that it uh, really works well for you and the investors and thank you very much for joining us today thank you thank you so much so we've been talking again with james song of fair cap partners from their offices in bangkok thailand and you've been listening to strategic investor radio on octalkradio.net where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd love to hear from you. Info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. This is Charlie Wright wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security.